Hello once again, everyone, and welcome to the podcast uh, couch. <laughs> I'm sorry. Come on in, have a seat. Um, and let's get to the subject at hand, which is, uh, this subject is going to be a continuation of Friend V, the previous podcast uh, that I just uh, submitted, what, all but two days ago. But um, I felt that there were so many other things that I could have said and should have said, but didn't say. <laughs> so I'm going to use this time here on the podcast to um, uh, achieve that or accomplish that, if you will. Um, so here we go. I did give definitions for both uh, jealousy and envy, but the definition of envy uh, went far deeper than the latter, and it described a longing or uh, a feeling of discontent and resentfulness aroused by someone else's possessions. So this is the feeling that someone is having, or these feelings are being conjured up by someone who um, is either seeing uh, the attributes, the skills, the accomplishments of someone else and uh, feeling the, this way, you know, resentfulness, uh, discontent. That, that's really strong. And I said in the last podcast that it borderlined um, uh, mental illness. Well, it it does like uh, seep into or step over into for me anyway, into our mental illness. But anyway, um, we are all a work in progress, and um, I believe that there's room for improvement uh, from everybody, anybody, and um, this is my initiative to accomplish that as I've felt, I've had that feeling that I punked out on the initial um, uh, podcast about Frenvy, okay? And uh, these are the points that I wanted to make. Uh, granted, I gave you guys three stories. I recanted three biblical stories, the story of Cain and Abel, the story of Joseph the, with the coat of many colors, and the story of Saul. And... Um, I wanted to just um, bullet some points verbally on each one. The first being the story of Cain and Abel. And as we all know from the story, Cain um, killed his brother Abel out of envy. Okay, and the reason being, uh, from what I extracted from the story, was um, Cain was jealous of the offerings and the sacrifices that his brother Abel made. And um, I don't know which one was older. I'm not sure. But I think that it's, it's, it's inconsequential. But as a sibling, a brother or a sister, I think if I had issue with um, an offering or whatever, because, I mean, granted, we the story let us know, it laid the foundation that they both love God. But Cain wasn't he didn't care. He just gave God whatever he felt like giving him as an offering. 
you know, and expected God to be satisfied with that because that's all he was willing or wanted to do. But here it is now we have his brother um, Abel who was doing the most, you know, as far as offerings and sacrifices to God. And it so enraged his brother that his brother killed him uh, or resorted to have, to killing him. Um, so I, what I want to say is how sometimes, you know, when we're low on love or we don't have love at the center of our lives, then um, these spirits, these negative, these dark spirits will come in and um, drive us if we allow it. Um, I think Cain's actions clearly was a reflective, was reflective, I'm sorry, of the thoughts that he was keeping. Hallelujah. And he must have thought that in getting rid of his brother, he would be getting rid of his own issues, which is to not be about planting the seeds that he wanted to cultivate. Um, trying to meet or exceed the sacrifices or offerings that his brother was making. Uh, Cain didn't look upon his brother and try to reverence his offerings as a demonstration of his great love for God, that he would, his own brother, who's cut from the same cloth as he is, same mother and father, <clears throat> that he would love God so much to think of God in such a esteem or high esteem that he would want to give him consistently the best that he has as far or he had as far as offerings. Okay, so um, that uh, clearly to me gives you an insight into Cain's personality or character or lack thereof, if you will. Um, I also um, wanted to point out how um, the resentfulness that was um, captured in the definition for Cain, how the resentfulness that he had or developed, hallelujah, as you know, as far as watching the offerings and the sacrifices that his brother was making to God had created such hostility inside of him that in his mind that the only resolve or his only resolve would be to kill it, you know, to kill any further um, demonstration by his brother to show God love. He just wanted to kill it. He didn't want to be reminded of it. He wanted it out of the way, you know, and um, that's a testament to the darkness that um, Cain was filled with. And I said, I had said earlier that both brothers were giving offerings. It's clearly stated that in the Bible, but yet the offerings that were put forth by Cain 
he didn't make an effort. He didn't care. He just gave what he wanted to give. And that was that. And it's sad that he didn't see his behavior or his decision to think that way was flawed. You know, he didn't make or take any steps to try to correct the thinking as well as the behavior. Um, his reasoning drove him to um, a really unfortunate end result, you know. Um, it is my hope that um, I'm, we've seen over and over since the beginning of time, or for as long as I've been living, I've heard similar stories. I've heard stories of how jealousy or envy can drive people to do vicious things to other people, you know, their brothers, even their brothers and sisters, blood brothers and sisters. So um, hopefully it is my hope that we can uh, extract the moral of the story and the moral from the teaching and make it our own so that we know from experience or historically what um, harboring hostility, resentfulness, discontent feelings at what someone else has, possesses, or, you know, whatever attributes that they have, you know, that you, you, when you feel that way, you have to turn inward. You have to recognize it as a problem and seek desperately to try to help yourself because you don't want it to eat you up. You know, I tell some of my clients, you are with what you eat, and it's true. Because if you're feeding yourself darkness or vile thoughts and uh, negativity, uh, all of that stuff begets the same thing, the same result. You know, so um, I'm hoping, or it is my hope, that um, you recognize the story for what it is. It's um, designed to teach you. It's designed to help. If it is, in fact, uh, help that you're seeking in order to help reconcile a lot of the feelings or the proclivities you have towards um, the emotion or that feeling, whatever you want to label it as. But the word is envy, you know, and everything that comes along with it. Just try to help yourself to become better. Fill yourself up in those areas that you are discontent with, that you're resentful about. And in so doing, it will neutralize any possible um, feeling of envy envy or jealousy towards another individual, another human being. Um, The first two stories, Cain and Abel, and then Joseph as well too, Coat of Many Colors, they depict a a deep-seated jealousy in family, families, I should say. And as a result of that jealousy, what actions or what 
that jealousy can spawn um, their family members, brothers, sisters, siblings, what, whatever you want to call it, to do. You know, um, again, the story of Joseph and his brothers um, embodied envy, or yeah, and in, 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 it really embodied the envious characteristic, that darkness. And um, it's kind of weird in this story because uh, Joseph is the youngest, you know, ch uh, of the brothers. And, you know, maybe, you know, the father was probably bestowing all of his time, attention or whatever on the younger brother for that reason. And you're more protective. You're still trying to cultivate the youngest child, you know, to be strong and self-sufficient, you know, so, um, and then you've, you know, coupled with the fact that you, as a parent, you have had experience previously with other children, you know, as to um, how to raise them and how um, <clears throat> to groom them best, not only physically, but um, mentally and spiritually. And you know, maybe the same thing was being done with um, Joseph, but it was seen as something else by his brothers, you know. And it's kind of weird. You got to ask yourself, like, is it one brother that infected the rest or were they all on board at the same time? Or was the father just as culpable as the brothers for not realizing his the part that he played in all this, trying to you know, show his youngest child, maybe realizing that it would have been his last child, all this love, you know, and um, ignoring maybe the needs of his other sons, you know. Um, but for whatever the reason, for whatever the uh, backstory behind why we even know about the story of Joseph, uh, the coat of many colors. Here we are. Okay, and um, what I extracted from this story is look at how Joseph's brothers, yeah, they tried to kill him, as we know. And one of the brothers uh, had the conscience to speak out and say, you know, why do we have to kill him? you know, will just fake his death or what have you. And that's what they did. They faked his death. They soiled his, they uh, killed a lamb and soiled the coat that Joseph had on with the lamb's blood and brought it back to their father with a fabricated story as to what happened to Joseph. And in leaving him where they left him, I believe he, they left him in a pit or somewhere, he was later found by, uh, I don't know what you call those people, but I guess they were vagabonds and they just grabbed Joseph and decided to see <clears throat> how much money they could make from him, for him or for having him. So they sold him into slavery. And that was that. But Joseph rose to become the second in command of Egypt. And that's the uh, portion of the story that I would like to elaborate a little further on and that is to say that in spite of everything that Joseph went through all the envy that was targeted or you know coming in at his in his direction by his brothers 
that um, God protected him. He was protected. God uh, protected him enough or all the way through to Joseph realizing uh, this stature of being second in command under Potiphar, who was the king of Egypt, you know. Uh, there was also a, a sub-story or story within a story, if you will, between Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Remember in the story, um, Potiphar's wife, the king of Egypt's wife, tried to come on to Joseph. Apparently, Joseph must have been the really good-looking guy. He was a looker. He had it going on. He was all of that. And he was, I guess the wife was trying to bed Joseph and Joseph had enough, what we call in Jamaica, brought up, see, to know that, hey, this is wrong. I can't do this, you know? So he ran away and from the woman, Potiphar's wife, I don't remember her name. I don't believe that her name is even mentioned in the story. She was just referred to as Potiphar's wife. But, um she must have tried to grab him on his way out and she grabbed his coat from off of him and told um her husband a different story <laughs> and that story went like you know hey it was joseph who was trying to rape me and what are you going to do about it you know and ordinarily a king if such a thing happens to the wife of a king you know that that person would be put to death. But Potiphar did not sentence Joseph to death. Obviously, Potiphar must have known something, you know, that we all didn't know. So he just remanded or told, you know, sentenced uh, Joseph to back to the, he just sent him back to the dungeon and there he was, you know, but, um, and there he stayed. But, but, but God, you know, it's all, it was all God. God was in and through this entire story or in Joseph's entire existence. I mean, he was anointed from the start and we saw that. The story exemplified that. Um, how, for me anyway, what I extracted from it was that God was protecting him from the beginning. You know, from the onset of all of this, God kept him hidden. He that was his way of protecting him, even though Joseph was miserable. Um, I believe it was years that he was down in this dungeon, you know, and um, literally in prison. A dungeon is equivalent to a prison. Not able really to see the light of day, not, well, being in isolation, not being around others. And he just felt like, can you imagine what he felt like? I feel that he felt like as, you know, he's there and isolation and he's there because he was trying to do the right thing in his mind and being persecuted for it that's my how I divvy it all up but nowhere in scripture said that um, Joseph was having regret for having done the right thing he still communicated I believe there was one or two other prisoners in the dungeon um, he was still fed and grateful for being fed. And, you know, it speaks volumes about your altitude, your attitude, actually, or, you know, determining your altitude. Amen. Here it is. He's in the pit 
of some dungeon, a cell in prison, probably chained up, shackled, what have you. And he is not even thinking in terms of trying to break out, break away. He's just hidden. You know, there's the silence there. And I believe he's still fortifying his relationship with God in prayer. You know, and um, here it is. He gets released, you know. And um, he not only uh, predicted a famine from his dreams. He was Joseph the dreamer as well, too. I believe that's what incensed his brothers the most about him is because he had a dream about, um, well, the father determined the dream. Uh, the father was a, um, he could translate dreams as well, too. They all had the gift. So the father uh, had determined that everybody would bow down to Joseph. And he did kind of uh, gave give his son a tongue lashing as well, too, when the son revealed his dreams to all of them, the family, you know, but um, here it is, the dream came to pass because there was this huge famine, which later, which um, Joseph had predicted, which later occurred. And as the um, head, un well, the under Potiphar, he made the decision to stockpile a lot of grain and all that to take the people of Egypt, I'm sorry, of Israel, through the famine, including his brothers. So Joseph did a great thing, you know, and we saw firsthand, well, I saw firsthand God moving in and about and throughout that entire story. So, um, yeah, I want to close by talking quickly about um, Saul. Now, Saul uh, came to being or came into play because the Israelites were upset that they didn't have uh, a person, a tangible person to um, look to, to get advice from and to lead them when they were first out of Egypt. And um, God listened to them. He listened to their cry and he appointed, he sent his prophet Samuel to um, appoint Saul as the first king. And we know, you know, um, from the story yeah, that Saul becomes king and all that, but the point of um, story, the point of Saul's story that I want to pull from on today is the fact that he, well, his jealousy or his obsession, his envy um, with David, okay? Um, and I've mentioned in the previous podcast that, you know, Saul was a king. He had title, power, you know, and all this wealth, I'm sure. He, anything that he wanted was at his disposal. But yet, he... I think he had a lot of machismo, this false bravado that men have, this egotistical or this egomaniac personality where apparently David was coming home from 
having fought in battles because David was a warrior, you know, from, he was a little boy, uh, used his slingshot to kill Goliath. But David's coming home and here it is, the women of uh, Israel are singing a song that Saul happens to hear that says, oh, Saul has killed thousands, but here it is, David has killed ten thousands. And that enraged Saul, so much so that he wanted to kill him. I believe his words were uh, in First Samuel that um, he kept a jealous eye on David. Um, and the jealous eye was he literally wanted to know David's every move because his plan was to get rid of David. He did not want to share the spotlight with David. You know, I think, you know, the terminology or the lingo these days that we use, we use about shade and all that is just so apropos because literally people put on glasses. Why? To keep out the sun from their eyes. So when a person is actually showing, throwing shade at someone else, it's as a result of envy or jealousy if you will, right? They're jealous of the light or the stature that this person has or this person is coming with it. He's bringing it all the time and, you know, he's just so, he or she is just so up on their game, you know, that for Saul in this instance, it burned him up so badly he couldn't take it. He refused to share the spotlight with David to the point where he kept planning and plotting ways by which to get David out the picture. And every, he sent his army after David to take him out. You understand? I mean, and he would say one thing in David's face and then behind his back try to throw him under the bus. You know, that's the worst kind of person, a double-minded person. We say, it, well, in scripture, it says a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. But just to think, again, who Saul is, the king of Israel, he has power, again, title and wealth. And yet he's allowing himself to fall prey to envy and jealousy. What does that say about his, in his insight, his character? He's a man physically, but he's a child. He's a spoiled child, maybe a toddler mentally, you know, and um, it's unfortunate. It's really an unfortunate set of circumstances. But yes, um, he later finds out that um, David was picked by God to become the next king of Israel. And that, was, that made matters even worse with Saul. I mean, he was relentless. He did not stop at anything to try to get rid of David. I believe he even used his daughter. Like marriage, you know, have promised his daughter to David so David would come back. And in so doing, um, he would try to kill him at that time at, of his return. Um, David was also um, the best friend of Saul's son you know but um it's a really interesting story and i 
I know that those stories have helped me. It's given me a greater insight into people and the character of people and personalities and all that. And I recommend that you have a look, have a read. You won't be disappointed. Um, and take note that how people could be so driven by their emotions and blinded by the right thing to do, by not knowing the right thing to do. That if you have reached that point where, you know, somebody's making you or your existence so uncomfortable that you're thinking about ways or trying to devise ways by which to get them out the picture, that's a problem. That is a serious problem. And it's not the problem of the person. It's your problem. It's a reflection of you. So try to fill yourself up with all the things that you see in a, the person that you might have a little envy for or might be a little green-eyed to. Fill yourself up, firstly, with love. Love yourself enough to not fall prey to your feelings. Don't trust your feelings because a lot of times um, you're wrong or they're wrong. You know what I'm saying? Um, pray. Be prayerful. Put God first. Take it to God in prayer. Let him help you with it. Let him show you if you don't know how to fill yourself up in the areas that you are lacking, that you need to be a whole individual. Okay, and um, I'm just saying all that to say, or just speaking from a place of love, because a lot of times that's all we need. All we need is love. Um, I hope I didn't exhaust um, the point that I was trying to make, but um, again, these are all points or uh, bullets that I would have liked to have included in my previous video but did not um, have the chance to. But um, set a platform of values for yourself and put in a hierarchy what you stand for. Uh, mine is love. Mine is always and always has been love. It's at the forefront. But um, the second is tactfulness. Um, I don't know what it is, but um, I was married and I used to always get from my ex-husband that, you know, Sophia, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And I submit um, a lot of times in the past when I wasn't as close to God that I would just say stuff to just offload, to just get it out because it needed to, I felt it needed to be said. But love was far removed from what it was that I was saying. So ergo, I have incorporated tactfulness uh, as a value of mine. Of course, my uh, primary is love. My second value is, you know, tactfulness and not to waste my time. And um, you, you got to figure out what you need. 
You got to know what it is that you need to be a whole person. Find it, cultivate it, and live it so that there is no room ever, now or in the future, for any element of envy or jealousy. And there it is. There you have it. I truly hope with all my heart and soul that you were blessed by this um, chat, <laughs> addendum or addendum chat, if you will. Um, peace be with you. Godspeed.